from Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the first place, beginning at verse 4. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 4, and then Ephesians. So, I'm reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Thank you. I'll be reading from Ephesians. So if you can kindly turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Yes, I said chapter 6. That's correct. <laughs> I think we're all ready. Coming up, I'm waiting for a sec. Okay, lovely. So, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on this earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word. And we pray, Father, that you would help us over this next half hour to uh, be quiet in our minds and uh, reflective. And as we consider your word, we pray that we would be learning and be reminded of uh, good things about the way that uh, you have loved us and the way that we ought to be serving, uh, particularly in our family contexts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me uh, talk about two different kinds of fathers who you might have seen in the movies. Uh, first of all, anyone seen the comedy Meet the Parents? You know, ben Stiller, he plays the part of a young male nurse named Greg who spends a few days in the home of his girlfriend's parents and what he plans to do is ask his girlfriend to marry him. Now, I imagine that it can be very daunting to meet your possible future father-in-law for the first time but Greg had never met anyone quite as intimidating as Jack Burns, who was played by Robert De Niro. Uh, Jack Burns, he's tough, he's rugged, he's an ex-CIA operative, and he runs his family as if he's still on the job. Very unnerving man, very unnerving man for a 
potential son-in-law to meet for the first time and to try to impress. Now, contrast, contrast Jack Byrne's controlling style of uh, fatherhood to the fatherhood of Daniel Hillard. Uh, Daniel Hillard, he's the father who's played by Robin Williams in the movie Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire. And he's a kind of, he's a nice guy kind of dad. He's, he adores his kids. He's, he loves his kids to bits. He's, he's all over his kids. He just enjoys having fun with his kids. But he's got no boundaries and he's got no uh, authority over his kids. The, um, this was a major frustration to his wife, who was played by Sally Field, because she found that she was the one who had to make all of the tough decisions of family life. She was the one who had to set the boundaries and try to impose the boundaries. She was the one who had to dish out all of the discipline and... In the end, that was just not her idea of marriage one little bit. And so she got fed up. Uh, she left him and took the kids. Daniel loses custody. And the only way that he could get to see his children on a daily basis was to utilise his impressive skills of impersonation. And he dresses up as a woman and he goes for a job interview in his wife's home as the experienced British nanny, Mrs. Euphigenia Doubtfire. And the irony of the story is this, that it was actually in that role that he became the kind of father that he should have been all along. Uh, tender and yet commanding respect. Two very different kinds of fathers, the military, tyrannical John uh, Jack Burns and the no-boundaries kind of Daniel Hillard. You can't watch either of those movies without doing at least some reflecting on... You do a lot of laughing, but you've got to do a bit of reflecting on the relationship between fathers and, and children. Uh, last week in Ephesians chapter 5, Peter uh, took you through the, what Paul has to say there about the uh, relationship between a husband and a wife. And I know we took you through it. I listened to it on the internet. Today in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul now moves on to the relationship between parents and children. And he does so, I might add, with a, with a special word just for dads. But he starts in verses 1 to 3 with the three verses that uh, my daughter once said to me, Dad, those, these must be your favourite three verses in the whole of the Bible. And in these verses, he says this, have a look at it. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, 
that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And so here Paul is speaking, Paul is speaking to children. And he says that children must obey their parents. Obey is a, is a strong word, isn't it? it it's actually, uh, in the original, it's a different word to what he uses early on, which is kind of like the overarching word for this section, which is the word to submit. And uh, so wives are to submit to their husbands as, as the church submits to Christ. And uh, you saw last week how that uh, submission is a is is a is a voluntary uh, exercise, but here he uses the word obey. It is stronger. It is different to the word for submission because what it means is that the children are under the words of their parents. It's a different word. It means to be under your parents' words, which means to be under their authority. It's not voluntary. It can be enforced. Children must obey their parents. Why? Well, what does he say? Firstly, he says, because this is, it's right. Um, it's, it's the order of things. Children are under authority. I mean, you wonder sometimes, don't you? <laughs> uh, I, I, I know of families where the children seem to rule, where it's what the children wants that becomes the basis for making decisions. Uh, like the Christian mother who told me once that if her children don't want to go to church, then that's it, decision made for that Sunday. But God has, <clears throat> God has created an order of relationships, and we saw that last week, as Peter explained from Ephesians 5. But in this order of relationships, it's an order whereby parents have authority over their children. And there's a very simple reason for that. It's called responsibility. Parents are responsible for the physical and the spiritual well-being of their children. A and with responsibility always comes authority. You can't give someone the responsibility for something without the necessary authority for them to be able to fulfill that responsibility. Responsibility and authority go hand in hand, which means that Parents have got the right to make decisions for the benefit of the child but with an expectation of obedience. Uh, <clears throat> in verses 2 and 3, Paul, Paul roots this back in the fifth of the Ten Commandments <clears throat> where, he, where he quotes uh, from the... Uh, <clears throat> The, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament. <clears throat> he, he quotes the fifth commandment, which says, honour your father and mother. And there's a promise there, isn't there? The promise is that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. So honour your father and mother. 
And the promise is that if you do that, if you stick to God's order of things, then things are going to go well with you. Then uh, there's a blessing that's attached to that. It's actually going to work better because it's like following the maker's instructions. Now, notice that the children uh, in what Paul says are to obey and in the commandment that is that they are to honour their parents. There may be a slightly different meaning there, a slightly different nuance with the two words, obey and honour. And I take it that obey means following instructions, but there does come a time in life when it's no longer appropriate for children to obey their parents. I mean, after all, the goal of parenting... Uh, is not to produce grown-up children, is it? The goal of parenting is to produce adults. Uh, Adults who are independent of mum and dad, adults who are mature, adults who make their own decisions in life and need to have the liberty to do so. But there is a sense in which to honour parents involves involves more than that. Uh, We honour our parents uh, not just when we're under their roof, but we honour our parents uh, throughout uh, their lives and we do so by caring for them. Uh, They are the source of our lives. They are the ones who have cared for us when we were dependent upon them. And we see a little bit of that in the passage which I've printed for you there in, um, in 1 Timothy. Uh, if you, it's actually on your sheets there. In 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let me just read that for you. Uh, Paul says to his uh, offsider Timothy, he says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren... These should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and their grandparents for this is pleasing to God. You see there the responsibility to... uh, to, That's how we honour our parents, is by caring for them. And the motivation there is because it actually pleases God do so. So it's a bit like what Paul says in back in Ephesians 4 where he says that children are to obey their parents. What was the motivation he gives? In the Lord. Now I don't think that that means that if the parents are not in the Lord that you don't have to obey them. I don't think that's what he's saying there. I think what he's saying here uh, is that it's part of you being in the Lord. It's part of your outworking of the gospel uh, in your lives. Uh, there may also be a, uh, an, an argument that uh, the children don't obey their parents if the parents want them to do something which is disobedient to the Lord. But the overarching issue there is that it's in the Lord that that is the motivation by which we are to obey our parents. Now, I'm thinking that microphone's not working properly. Could you turn that on, uh, Jacob? Thank you. Oh, that's better. Yeah, I'm having to 
raise my voice more than what I was, in, was uh, planning to do so. So that's the, the special word that Paul has for children. He also has a special word for parents, but as I said, he actually nails it particularly for fathers. We see it in verse 4. See verse 4? He says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, mothers obviously have a profound role. There's, that just goes without saying. But Paul singles out fathers, um, perhaps because of the special responsibility that a father has to lead his family uh, in godliness. Maybe also because dads need a little bit more prompting than mums do in that respect. But here he says, do not exasperate your, your, your children. Now, I tend, you know, in day-to-day -day conversation, the word exasperate doesn't come up very much in my vocabulary. Uh, it means to provoke somebody to anger. That's what it means. Fathers, do not provoke your children to be angry. And there's a lot of ways that a father can do that. I remember many years ago when Andrew was just a, uh, about that tall, a little kid, and he came up to me one day and he said, Daddy, I'm angry with you. <laughs> and I said, well, what's, what's this about? I said, and I said, well, why are you angry with me? He said, well, last week you promised to fix my toy. I've been waiting patiently for one week and the toy is not fixed. <laughs> uh, to which I firstly apologised to him. I then, uh, I, I then thanked him for his frankness. I want my children to be able to be open with me and to express themselves like that. And then I fixed the toy. Uh, but it, one of the ways that a father can exasperate their children, can provoke children to, uh, to angry, anger, is broken promises, uh, is, is letting the, child, the, the children down, is demonstrating that your word cannot be trusted. And uh, I've seen that happen. I've seen it with guys I used to work with, where, uh, you know, I've, I've seen guys that actually would cancel the family holiday because a client had a deadline. <laughs> putting work before the family and causing profound uh, disappointment uh, for children and the children grow up knowing that dad's word cannot be trusted. You can't rely on him to do what he promises. I, um, in Colossians chapter 3, um, Paul says... It's a very similar passage uh, and he says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And you see, to embitter, uh, it's similar, it's connected with to exasperate, to cause to become angry. But it's an anger that's allowed to, that's allowed to fester. Uh, and it's connected with discouragement 
uh, in Colossians chapter 3. Don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Um, some of us know that only too well. You know, I've ministered to families where fathers have got expectations of their children that the children cannot possibly meet. Uh, I've ministered to, to, to families where fathers uh, habitually criticise and run down their children. Always negative. Always critical. Always making their children feel that they cannot do anything that will please dad. That they can never be good enough. And these are words which crush the spirit, which uh, discourage, uh, which tear down rather than build up and which have, can have a very long-term negative impact in terms of a person's self-esteem, their view of themselves. So as a Christian father, I need to ask myself the question, is there anything in the way that I exercise my headship in the family which is suppressing my children and causing anger and discouragement to grow in them? Because if there is, I need to change. Uh, God gives fathers authority, but it is not the, the authority to be a dictator. It is not the authority to be a tyrant. It is not the authority to be served. Rather, it is the authority to serve. And to serve as Christ has served us by sacrificing himself. It is the authority to lead in such a way that those who are under our leadership will be built up. And often that's authority which comes at personal cost to ourselves as we put the needs and the interests of the children before ourselves. And so Paul says, do not exasperate your children, instead bring them up. And the word here for bringing them up is the word, uh, it's like the word to nourish. Uh, it's, it's to nourish your children, to feed your children. And nourishment involves an attitude, an attitude of, of tenderness. Uh, as a Christian, I have experienced the the tender love of God in Christ. As a husband and a father, I should treat my wife and my children with that same tender, loving care with which God has treated me in the gospel. I mean, I, um, I keep on reading that um, if, a <clears throat> uh, if a young girl has a warm, um, loving, uh, respectful tender relationship with her father that uh, as she grows up that she would intuitively expect that of any young man who should take an interest in her and that's right uh, when a boy has a father who has modeled tender leadership uh, it is far more natural for him as he becomes a man 
to provide that same tender leadership to his wife and to his children. Because what they say is true, that what parents breathe out, children breathe in, becomes part of them. But nourishment also involves food, doesn't it? Not just, and not just uh, meat and potatoes. Uh, the food is the, as Paul says, the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, again, I think that there is a, there's a little different nuance between training and instruction. Uh, I take it that uh, the word instruction literally means to place knowledge into someone's mind. That's about you know, imparting knowledge. But training's different to knowledge, isn't it? Training is actually taking that knowledge and turning it into a way of life, showing how it's applied in a practical sense, modelling it, getting your hands dirty uh, with respect to the knowledge. Knowledge and training, both necessary but slightly different. And in the Bible, uh, the model father, particularly we see this in the Old Testament, the model father was not the detached authority figure, you know, the kind of dad who leaves all of the relational stuff up to mum. He's not like that. He's a man who uh, takes the deepest interest in, in, the, in, in his children. And he does so by word and by example. Because by word and example, he taught the children about who God is, about what God is like, about how much God has loved us and how we ought to be applying that in a practical sense, in practical wisdom, uh, in the way that uh, the child lives uh, his or her life. So we saw in uh, Deuteronomy um, that uh, Diego read for us earlier on. Was it Diego or Carlos read it for us earlier on? Diego read it for us earlier on, yeah. And uh, the Diego read for us earlier on where uh, Moses says that the, to the people of Israel that they were to take the law of God and they were to write it all over the place and they were to talk about it when they're sitting down, when they're going for a walk, uh, that the word of God is to infuse uh, the whole of life. If you go to Proverbs, um, go back to Proverbs chapter 1 for a moment. Psalms, Proverbs... Um, on page 449, just read you some of this. You know, here is the, the godly father um, talking to his son and uh, in verse 8 there, got that Proverbs 1, verse 8, this is what he says. He says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. There you go. He's father's teaching the son to honour his mother. Listen to what she has to say. Respect her. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie and wait for someone's blood, let's waylay some harmless soul, let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit, we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder, throw in your lot with us and we'll share a common purse. If they say that, my son, do not go along with them, do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into sin, 
They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net in full view of the birds. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They waylay only themselves. Such is the end of all those who go after ill-gotten gate. It takes away the lives of those who get it. So this is wisdom from the father to the son uh, on fairly significant criminal activity, isn't it? <laughs> you know, don't join the gang, basically, is what he's saying. But as you go through Proverbs, you see the wisdom of the father to the son on areas of um, how to conduct your relationships with women. Um, don't get involved in adultery. Don't be enticed into that. That's death. Uh, he gives wisdom to his son on, on alcohol abuse. You know, uh, wine is a... Um, Beer is a brawler, wine is a mocker, you know, it looks, don't become one of these people as a connoisseur of wine, you know, it looks so beautiful as you look at it, but it's, you know, it's, you don't get drunk, you know. This is a dad talking to his son and it's because of a relationship with God. It's the, the godly father who's teaching his son godliness and especially in this area of of dealing with temptation and sin. I remember a Christian dad uh, telling me, you know, he said, I was playing a game with my son one day and then out of the blue, my son says to me, Dad, do you still sin? <clears throat> and it wasn't a surprise that that spiritual question came up because talking about God and Sin and righteousness was just normal, in that, you know, for that father-son relationship. Because he's a dad who spends time with his kids. He was playing ball with him at the time. And he reads the Bible to his children. He reads the scriptures to them. He talk, This is a normal topic of conversation. And it led to a good conversation about the gospel and temptation. It is very, very powerful for a son to hear this sort of stuff coming from his dad, especially about resisting sin. And oh, how different to the fathers who teach their children how to indulge in sin, who promote it, who, are, who model it. Pornography, alcoholism, here, son, you've turned 18, get this grog into you, you know. Very, very different. Notice the role of the mother in Proverbs 1. The mum and dad are a team. And, of course, godly mothers teach their children about the Lord. Remember Paul's co-worker, Timothy. Who was it who taught him the gospel? It was his mother and his grandmother, who uh, the, the gospel first lived in them. And they passed it on to Timothy. The critical issue is this. If we are parents or if we are grandparents, what is our goal for our children? What is the goal for the children in our families? The prior question is, what is God's goal for all of us? And as we've studied through Ephesians, we've seen that God's goal for all of us is that we should be people who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that God's goal is that we should be saved for all of eternity. 
But God's goal is that we should be people who live a life that honours God. We may or may not be rich. We may or may not be comfortable. We may or may not be popular and successful. But do you honour God? Do you trust in him? Are you going to spend eternity with him in heaven? For example, you see in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, just to pick out one of the many <clears throat> passages throughout Ephesians. In Ephesians 5, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Is that what we want for our children and our grandchildren? Now, in a context like this, um, most of us here are going to say, yep, (laughs) that's what I want. Of course that's what I want. Uh, Is it what you really want? Because if it is, then let me just spell out a few implications here. First of all, uh, we need to be feeding ourselves, don't we? If what we want is is the kids in our family to grow up knowing and loving and serving God, then we need to feed ourselves because guess what? You cannot dish out to others what you don't already possess. There's a challenge. Secondly, it means that we, um, we need to be feeding our children uh, by doing things like reading the Bible with them, like praying with them, like seizing opportunities to spend time with them and to and to talk with them and uh, help them by providing and seizing the opportunities that are available to them to learn more about God. So decisions about getting to church, yeah, absolutely. It's not the kids that make those decisions, it's the parents that make those decisions. Church, Sunday school, youth group, um, daily, uh, promoting their daily reading and and their daily prayers. That's what we need to be doing for the kids. This should be a great priority because parents only have a very small window of opportunity to shape the lives of children before they grow up, they move out of home and they establish their own families. It goes quickly. It's a small window of opportunity. So I began with a couple of bad examples of fatherhood from Meet the Parents and Mrs Doubtfire. Uh, let me just close with a, with a good example. I want to talk to you about my friend Doug. Doug was a wonderful, godly husband and uh, a godly father. Uh, he was much older than myself uh, and I counted him as a very dear brother in Christ. Two of Doug's sons became uh, prominent Christian leaders. And at his funeral, one of his sons spoke of his earliest memories of his dad. And these were early memories that kind of just captured for him the spiritual leadership that his father showed right throughout their lives. But his earliest memories of of Doug... He said, uh, on most days, Dad would be off to work before the rest of the family got out of bed. 
Doug ran his own business. But he says, I remember as a kid lying in bed, sometimes before sunrise, it was still dark, I'd be half asleep, but I would know that my father had come into my room and I could, I could see him, I could, I could sense him kneeling beside my bed. He'd do that for a little while and then he'd be off to work. And he said, now I know what Dad was doing for me. Let's you and I do some of that, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the great example of love and service that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that uh, Jesus is the head of the church, but he's exercised that headship by sacrificial service for our good. We pray, Father God, for families. We pray especially for parents and particularly for dads that uh, you would uh, strengthen and encourage them to be the spiritual leaders of their families that you would have them be. Father, we pray for all of the children that are connected with our families and our church. We pray that they would be growing up knowing Jesus and loving him and serving him and that you would be bringing forth a great fruit of righteousness uh, that uh, as the gospel has been passed on to the next generation that it would be continuing to flourish in our families and in our society. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.